Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our review of the prosecution's cross-examination of Kyle Rittenhouse, including a tense sidebar in which Judge Bruce Schrader severely reprimanded Prosecutor Thomas Binger. After that admonition, Binger seemed rattled and his questions seemed to meander without clear purpose. On today's episode, we follow the defendant's testimony as the prosecutor wanders into yet another quagmire. That's all coming up right after the break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor Thomas Binger had moved on to a line of questioning focused on the rounds of ammunition that the defendant possessed on the night of August 25th. Binger's cross-examination strategy at this point is indecipherable. After the failure of his gambit to introduce evidence of Rittenhouse's prior statements about using his AR-15 to shoot looters, the prosecutor seems to bounce from one half-baked theory to another. We are going to present his questioning of the defendant about the ammunition without interruption and with only light editing for clarity and concision, as it culminates in another intervention by the judge. Here is Binger's initial question about the ammunition in the defendant's rifle. You testified earlier that your AR-15 was loaded with 30 rounds of ammunition. Is that right? Yes. Where did that ammunition come from? That was from our last um, last trip up north, from May to the time we took it up north. So when the gun was left at Dominic's Black's house, it had that ammunition with it? Um, it yeah, the ammo was in a box, I don't, magazine, I don't really know. When you were at Dominic Black's house on August 25th, you found your, that AR-15 downstairs in his basement, correct? No. Where did you find it at? It was downstairs in the basement, but it was, I was told by Dominic Black, hey, go downstairs, grab, that rifle, grab your rifle. So you knew up until that point that that rifle was being stored in a gun safe in the garage, correct? Correct. And you didn't have the code or any access to that gun safe, correct? I did not. It just happened that on this particular day, Dominic Black's stepfather had moved that gun into the house, correct? Yes. You didn't know that beforehand? I didn't. You didn't know that it had been taken out of the safe? No. And so you went downstairs and grabbed it? After instructed to do so by Dominic, I did. And it had the magazine already inserted in the rifle? It did. And the magazine was already loaded with 30 rounds? I believe so. When did you chamber a round? Um, I don't know if I ever did. Well, you had to have to fire the gun, right? Yeah, I think it, I think it was already chambered when I got it. I, 
That's what I remember. I don't remember racking it at all that night. Because the way this type of gun works is that you have to have a magazine with ammo in it. You have to insert the magazine into the gun and then you have to rack it to load one of those rounds into the chamber, correct? Yes. And you were familiar with how to do all of that, correct? Yes. And it can't discharge a bullet unless a bullet is racked into the chamber, correct? Correct. And so your testimony here, as best you can recall, is that you never had to do the initial racking because the bullet was already in the chamber when you took possession of it that day. Is yes, that fair to I, say? I, I believe so. I believe that it was already racked. And the ammunition that was in that was full metal jacket ammunition, correct? 223 uh, full metal jacket. 223 being the caliber. Yes. And full metal jacket being the type of casing, correct? Yes. Uh, full metal jacket is the bullet type. The bullet type. Okay, I apologize. And you're aware there are different types of bullets, like hollow point bullets, correct? Yes. Um, yes. And when you were in the process of purchasing this gun, well, let me back up for a second. You said that the 30 rounds of ammo were left over from previous. I assume you mean when you were up in Ladysmith? Yes. And you were practicing with the gun up there? Yes. And they, Dominic Black's family has some sort of firing range or shooting range up there, is that right? They have a gravel pit where um, it's safe to shoot. And you and Dominic would practice with your AR-15s shooting at targets in that gravel pit, correct? Correct. And you would shoot at targets as far as, what, 75 yards away? No. How close were the targets? I was about, I was about, I think the furthest I ever got was maybe from me to the TV. You didn't shoot at any targets farther away than that? No. Dominic Black testified that he shot at targets 75 yards away. Did you see him do that? I didn't, but I don't know what Dominic Black saw or what Dominic Black was shooting at. I, I wasn't with him when he did that. But you were aware of the fact that the AR-15 was capable of hitting targets much further away than you to the TV, correct? I believe so. Did you know the capabilities of your own weapon? I knew that it, it could shoot and I believe from a distance. I don't know how far, I'm not an expert on AR-15s. Did you personally purchase that 223 full metal jacket ammunition? I did not. Who did? Dominic did. Did you ask him to purchase it? I did not. So you didn't know what type of ammo was in that gun. Is that I, right? I knew they were 223 full metal jackets. So you knew the type of round, but you didn't know what those rounds were capable of doing. Is that fair to say? Believe a bullet's a bullet. As you sit here today, you know that there are different types of bullets, right? Yes. You know that hollow point bullets, for example, do different things to a animal or a human than full metal jacket bullets, correct? Yeah. Full metal jacket is a, like a defense round, like another type of defense round. I know full, people use full metal jacket for hunting and hollow point is something that causes more damage 
Hollow point bullets are designed to hit the animal that they're being shot at. Let's say a deer, for example, and explode inside that body, correct? No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, when you say explode, are you saying expand or explode? Because there are such things as exploding bullets. Sure. Let me, let me rephrase. Mr. Rittenhouse, what is your understanding of what a hollow point bullet would do if it were shot at, say, a deer? I, I don't think people use hollow point. That was my question, sir. What is your understanding of what that bullet would do? Let me, let me rephrase it then, because you're aware that people use hollow point bullets in their pistols to defend themselves against other people, correct? Yes. Ryan Balch, for example testified in this trial that he was carrying a pistol loaded with hollow point ammunition for self-defense. Do you remember that testimony? I, I do. So what is your understanding, if you have one, as to what hollow point ammunition would do to a human? I believe it would do the same thing as any other bullet. Um, like I said, a bullet's a bullet. Um, I just believe hollow points, I'm sorry, I don't know much about ammo. Um, I'm trying to think of what I remember, but I just don't know much about ammo. So you didn't know the difference between what a full metal jacket bullet would do versus a hollow point, right? I, I believe a hollow point from, I, I just don't know much about this. Um, I believe a hollow point would cause more damage to the first target, but it wouldn't continue through to any other targets, right? I, I, I don't know. The Whereas a that. full metal jacket bullet is specifically designed to continue through its first target and keep flying, correct? I, I, I you know, uh, there, uh, <clears throat> first of all, the, 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 the um, hollow point is not guaranteed to stay in the first object struck, which is, so what you said was not correct. Uh, secondly, no, but you've been testifying, and that's what, Mr. That's what, Mr. We're going to break a break for lunch. Though it is not entirely clear, Prosecutor Binger appears to be trying to use the defendant's answers to these questions as evidence of his recklessness. His implicit point seems to be that the type of bullet that Rittenhouse was using was more likely to pass through whatever object it struck and then potentially hit an unintended object behind the initial target. Judge Schrader shuts this down and calls a break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. After the break, the defense announces that they plan to file a motion for mistrial with prejudice, which, if granted, would mean that the prosecution would be precluded from refiling any of the charges against the defendant. Again, the hearing on this issue culminates in a sharp admonition of Prosecutor Binger by Judge Schrader. Corey Shirofsky makes the announcement of the motion to the court. At the, at the lunch break, um, I had done some research, and at this point, um, the defense is going to be making a motion 
for a mistrial. However, that motion is going to be requested with prejudice. Um, I'm I'm aware that the court's aware that normally a, a defense motion uh, for a mistrial does not uh, preclude a retrial. I understand that. There are exceptions to that, however. And um, the case that I am drawing this from is Day versus State. It's 76 with second 588. And what it says is, an exception to this rule exists where a defendant's motion is necessitated by prosecutorial impropriety designed to avoid an acquittal. Now, what has happened in, uh, in this, this morning was two times. Uh, the state had commented on Mr. Rittenhouse's right to remain silent. The first time he was admonished by the court, the second time the court had the jury leave and re-admonished him on that. Prior to Mr. Rittenhouse testifying, you had cited various statutes and then you had asked if anything had would be coming up on, for example, I think 90608. One of the other things you addressed was 90404. And you had said that based on the information that had come out at the trial, nothing had changed as it relates to your ruling. Shortly thereafter, Mr. Binger stated, and we looked it up, previously, he said to Mr. Rittenhouse, previously indicated that you wish to have your AR-15 to protect someone's property. Clearly in violation, not only of the prior ruling that you had made, but the ruling that very day, that very morning. Um, it appears to be uh, that there are two really elements the court must consider when making a determination on a mistrial for what amounts to prosecutorial overreaching. And the first one is the prosecutor's actions must be intentional in the sense of a culpable state of mind in the nature of awareness that his activity would be prejudicial to the defendant. I would argue to you that that's clearly aware of that. You had warned him. Uh, you had told him prior to uh, Mr. Rittenhouse testifying that these things, certainly the 90404 was off limits. You had warned him about the uh, infringement on his constitutional right to remain silent. He did it again. The second one, I think, requires some action by the court in terms of a finding. The second one says the prosecutor's actions was designed to provoke a mistrial in order to get another kick at the cat because the first trial is going badly or to or to prejudice the defendant's rights to successfully complete the criminal confrontation at the first trial. Now, the, the case that I had cited is a Kenosha case, um, State versus Coping. Coping? Yep. Uh, 100 with second, 700. C-O-P-E-N-I-N-G? Yes, sir. In that case, the court didn't make findings. But I think the court has to make some findings as it relates to the actions that I had talked about. At this moment in Sharofsky's statement, Judge Schrader's phone ringtone sounds with the familiar tune of Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American. The judge silences his phone and Sharofsky continues. We're done in bad faith. Then I think both elements uh, for mistrial with prejudice have been met. And I think under the circumstances, based on what I've put forth on the record, I would certainly ask the court to consider those. Um, and I would ask the court grant the motion uh, with prejudice. Thank you.
Thank you. State. Prosecutor Binger musters a response. Yeah, I would like an opportunity to more fully respond to this uh, in, uh, with a little bit of research. Um, at first blush, though, uh, and I, I reserve the right to present case law and additional uh, uh, sites to the court. But I do want to point out for the record that the defendant has presented interviews to uh, at least one media source and at least one online source uh, since his arrest. Um, and there have been questions about uh, that night. There have been questions about what he did, uh, things like that. Um, he has uh, decided, probably on advice of counsel in those circumstances, not to uh, give a statement in the media about what happened. But he is talking about his family life. He's talking about his friends. He's talking about the, the circumstances of the case. He's talking about how this has affected him and things like that. Um, so my point in asking those questions was you have agreed to talk to the media. You've agreed to talk about yourself. You've agreed to get interviews. Um, but until now, this is the first time you're explaining your actions. And so I'm, I wasn't referring to his in-custody statements. In fact, I never asked either detective about what the defendant told them. He actually starts to tell them some things, and then he says he wants a lawyer, and they stop him. And they Mirandize him first, by the way. Uh, then he starts to tell them some things, and then he says, but I want to talk to my lawyer. And they're like, OK, we're done. So I'm not referring to that. I didn't ask any questions of the detectives about that. Um, but since this, the defendant has spoken to the media. He has talked about his life, about circumstances related to this case. He just hasn't given his exact version of events that night. So his voluntary discussion to speak to the media uh, has nothing to do with Fifth Amendment. That is his own decision. And if he's going to pick and choose what he wants to talk about in those uh, voluntary interviews with the media, then I think that's fair game. It doesn't implicate his Miranda rights. It doesn't implicate the Fifth Amendment. He's making his own voluntary choice. Well, wait a minute. You don't think he could give an interview about his his uh, awards he won in high school, or his demerits that he got, or his uh, and 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 about his sports activities and his swimming and and that and uh, and decline to answer any questions about the incident in question, and that somehow a waiver of his right to silence? I I think he's doing more than that, Your Honor, uh, in these interviews. Um, he... I don't know. I I knew nothing about them. I never. I, you know, I, I haven't seen all all of, I haven't seen probably 1% of all the evidence, which is pretty typical, as you know. So I have no way of knowing it. Uh, you have some interview, uh, some interviews that he gave to a media or to whatever? Yeah, there's an interview that we're looking at on our computer right now from um, the Washington Post, uh, where he talks to them. Uh, I know there's one, uh, I think it's either the New Yorker or the GQ magazine, uh, where he speaks to the reporters also. Um, and he doesn't go into specific details about what happened that night, but it's not like it's talking about school or swimming or things well, like that. Well, no, 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 no. Don't leave it at He doesn't go into specific details. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly there could be a waiver, but a very modest discussion about the activities of that night. And if you're suggesting that occurred, that could make a big difference. Um, but um, even even a small discussion on his part of the uh, night in question might be a full waiver. I don't know, but I and I won't know until I see it. But uh, why don't you uh, 
to make copies of it and. Uh, Can we have a few minutes to? Well, we won't do it right now. I I I do agree with you that this is not something that I would want to do. Um, sitting here uh, without giving you an opportunity to respond. Um, although I would be interested in your preliminary response to uh, the, the excluded evidence that you uh, touched on after having been told not to do this or having been told that I was confirming my prior rulings. I do want to just point out right now we've got it on the screen. This is a Washington Post article uh, and there's a reference to an interview that he says, the defendant says, he did not regret having his gun because, quote, I would have died that night if I didn't, end quote. So that's a direct quote from the defendant to the media about that night. What about that? Your Honor, all I can say about that interview is there were prior counsel representing him. Um, I don't care about that. Well, and I believe it was a telephone interview. I, I don't know anything about the circumstances of that. I'd have to read the article. Well, that might make a difference. Judge Schrader then asks Binger to respond to the allegation that his actions in raising statements by the defendant that the court had previously deemed inadmissible were part of a willful effort to induce a mistrial. Um, and what, no, what about the, um, uh, you're uh, asking questions about excluded evidence? Your Honor, the, we went, we went over this earlier, and I, I don't want to repeat myself because I know you've heard me, but if I could just summarize. Uh, I did hear you talk about that evidence this morning before testimony. The defendant then took the stand. He admitted that he had said to the person in the yellow pants that he had pointed the gun at that person. I have seen that video. Um, it was actually introduced by the defense I think it was even in their opening statement. And there is this person who confronts the defendant and accuses him of this. Frankly, to be honest, Your Honor, when I watched the video the first time, I didn't hear the defendant's reaction. I thought it was someone making an accusation and then the defendant walking away as if trying to avoid a confrontation. I was surprised to hear the defendant admit in his testimony, on direct, by his attorney, that yes, I did tell that person that I had pointed the gun at them. He explained then that he was joking when he said that. The jury can evaluate that. It goes to his credibility. It goes to whether or not he's telling the truth. It goes to his decision-making. That is, again, this is an incident that occurred that night. So it's not something that happened separate in time. It presumably happened a few minutes before. Um, but I, like I said, I was taken aback by the defendant admitting that he had said to this person, yes, I pointed a gun at him. Um, and I think it's fair to say that watching that video, that that person, you know, believes strongly that this happened, the defendant is telling him it happened. Now the defendant today is giving us a different version and saying, oh, I made it, I was joking, I was just kidding that guy or whatever. I'd like to probe that. I'd like to probe what he said to that person. I'd like to probe what his motivations were, etc. I'd like to probe whether, in fact, he really did do that. Um, and I think that that changes the equation with regard to the CVS video that was the subject of the other acts motion. Because in my mind, it is very similar. 
and I know we've disagreed on that, and I'm not going to belabor the point, Your Honor, but that was where I was coming from, was there's been a change in the testimony of the defendant today that I think makes that evidence. It's admissible and much more relevant than it already was, and I thought it was already uh, relevant. The court is... I, I do want to be clear... So also, I'm just here on the sidelines just to... Well... You, yeah, I had made a ruling that the evidence wasn't coming in, and you decided that it was. I, I, if I could just respond to that briefly, Your Honor, I was about to say, I did not interpret your ruling as an absolute. We, we've had three state motions in the past. There was one in which we asked the court to introduce evidence that the defendant was at Pudgy's Bar with Proud Boys, and you were clear that is not coming in. There was, you know, don't get into other subjects. Get it. Get, come on, what you're telling me. You're an experienced trial attorney, and you're telling me that when the judge says, I'm excluding this, you just to take it upon yourself to put it in because you think that you've found a way around it? Come on. If I may finish, Your Honor, I was about to say, your, your ruling on our three motions and uh, other acts motions was there were some gradations there. That you were clear that some things were absolutely out, and then you left the door open on other things. You know. So I, I, I saw that distinction, and I thought to myself, Clearly, I know this is out, but you left the door open on other things. So I didn't interpret your ruling as this is absolutely never coming in. And I have practiced before you, Your Honor. I have filed other associations motions before you. Your practice oftentimes is to reserve ruling on those until you see the evidence. And I think you even said something to that effect. I undoubtedly did. So I thought this is my good faith explanation to you. And if you want to yell at me, you can my good faith feeling this morning after watching that testimony was you had left the door open a little bit, now we had something new, and I was going to probe it. I don't believe you. There better not be another incident. I'll take the motion under advisement. Um, and you can respond. Um, when you say that, that you were acting in faith, good faith, I don't believe that, okay? We will, of course, review this motion hearing during our weekly recap with Abby Smith. There was a second part to this sidebar, and we will get into that during our next episode. But for now, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us tomorrow as we continue our look at the state's cross-examination of the defendant. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.